Hey, this is Eric Senich from the Van Halen News Desk and host of the Booked on Rock podcast. And you are listening to one of my favorite podcasts of all time, my weekly mixtape with Brian Colburn. Let's mix it up. Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. Joining me tonight for the first time are two guests and a slightly revised format to accommodate the change. First up is Eric Senich from the Van Halen News Desk, as well as the host of the Booked on Rock podcast. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Brian, this is an honor. I told you I love your show. Love it. So this is this is so great to be on. I, uh, I I can't get enough of your podcast, man. I'm telling you. So it's great to be here, man. Thanks. Well, I appreciate you being here, and I'm excited to talk some Van Halen with you tonight. And joining the two of us tonight is Patreon mixtaper Cactus Pete, who I have mentioned his name a ton of times since the show launched. So Pete, thank you so much for joining the show tonight, man. Well, thanks for having me on. Like Eric said, it's an honor to be here ready to go this will be a lot of fun and he's got the radio name brian cactus pete that's i, I like that old school radio <laughs> yeah i could touch on that <laughs> in broadcast school we had to pick a name and we were um, encouraged to do so back then so i chose i did a little copy and paste and i chose eddie anthony was my on-air name that i used for three years in radio and um it made it a lot a lot of fun <laughs> that's hilarious because my first radio name was eric anderson and then I was Fletch. I worked at WCCC in Hartford. Ah, Howard. Yeah, the old home of Howard Stern. And they said, what are your favorite TV? This is the day before I'm going on the air. And I mentioned Fletch. That's it. You're Fletch. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and this is tomorrow I'm going on the air with this? Yeah, I love the radio names. Should we refer to you tonight as, as Fletch then, moving forward? <laughs> hey, by all means, greatest comedy movie ever, Chevy Chase. Absolutely love it. Well, with every first time guest tonight, I get to ask my opening question twice. So Eric, we'll start with you. What does the word mixtape mean to you? Oh man. You know, it takes me back to really two important periods of my life. First is high school. And there were two mixtapes that I had that I always listened to. My older brother had a vinyl record player where you could record what was on vinyl onto cassette. And then I would take that cassette and I would go for rides around town and listen to it nonstop. And my older brother, my oldest brother, I should say, had a ton of vinyl. And he had, you know, the Dark Side of the Moon, Zeppelin, you name it, one, two, three, four, right up through <laughs> in through the outdoor. And I think he had presents too. He had Genesis, Three Sides Live in there, I remember. So I would pluck out all of these songs that I loved that I would hear on the radio and I would record them from vinyl onto cassette and they sounded just as good as if you're listening straight off vinyl. Sharp, you know. So anyway, I listened to those two tapes so much to the point where, as I'm sure you guys know, whenever you hear a certain song nowadays, you're waiting for the next song to be what was on your mixtape, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so there was that. And then when I was in college and I was interning at a radio station, there was CDs all over the place where you could just, anything you wanted was there. And I used to go into the production room and just put in all of my favorite songs. And I had 
I remember CSNY, Southern Cross, and I would play that cassette over and over and over again. So mixtapes, a lost art. That it was something I talk about a lot on this show. Pete, same question to you. A lot of what Eric said too, it takes me back specifically more to my junior high days to get the Memorix tape and put that in the old uh, Magnavox cassette player. And whether or not you were waiting for something to come on on the radio, which was a real pain. And I learned later of why you had to wait so long. After I waited for Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy for an hour and a half before I heard it. <laughs> I sat there with my finger on the record button when he said he play it soon. But um, yeah, it was making music for friends. Sometimes even throwing in something maybe that they didn't expect, something new. Like if you'd say set adrift on memory bliss, well, let's throw in something else. Let's throw in paper doll because maybe they're not familiar with that. Maybe that'll get them to uh, become more interested in PM Dawn or whatever the case may be. And then you could go on swings. You could go from more of a heavy rocker down to more of a poppy song, down to a ballad, and then pick it up again. But a musical roller coaster is what it always seemed like. And, and how much could you fit on that tape was always the it's always a question. Oh, yes. Hey, Pete, did you ever have where you had to take a song because it wouldn't fit and you'd have to like cut it down and shorten the song? Because I had to do that with ACDCs. <laughs> it's a long way to the top. I had yeah. to literally cut out that great bagpipe ending and I was like, this sucks, but I can't <laughs> yeah. fit it on side one. Hey, hey, can't fit it. <laughs> yeah, or you look for something shorter. What I always ended up doing when a song ended and I knew I only had a minute or so left on the side, I had this collection of what I called short songs. So it was stuff like S.O.D., uh, The Ballad of Jimi Hendrix, All by the Descendants, all songs that were anywhere from 30 seconds to two seconds. And no matter what kind of mixtape I made, whether it was a bunch of slow songs for a girlfriend or a bunch of heavy stuff or a bunch of hip hop, these five or six songs would always end every side. And sometimes I would just go in a rotation just yes. to fill the space. <laughs> it's like an art form though. It really is, man. It's so, it's just a lost art. You know, a lot of the younger people that are listening right now, they, they missed out. <laughs> you know, yes. they really did. Mixtapes were mm -hmm. just so fun. Well, hopefully tonight we're going to turn some people onto some cool new music because tonight we are talking about the legendary Van Halen. I really hope we're not turning anybody on to Van Halen tonight, but regardless, <laughs> we're celebrating the legendary Van Halen tonight. And Eric, I'd like to start by asking you how you got involved with the Van Halen News Desk. Oh, the News Desk. Yeah, I was working in radio. This is probably six, seven years ago. And I was working at a radio station in Fairfield County, Connecticut, and they had a new website and they invited all the jocks to write blogs. And so I would write a lot of different articles on different things. And every now and then I would do a Van Halen article. That was funny because the program director says, don't write about Van Halen every time. I said, don't worry. I won't. <laughs> you know, he knew. But I would write about Van Halen and then I would share those articles on a website, which Pete may know about, VH Links, which is where all the fans would yes. go, right? You go yep. there and people just post various things, whatever they, you know, they feel like they're in the mood to post. And um, I would post my articles there. And people would read them and they seemed to enjoy them. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, I get a message from Jeff Hausman from the Van Halen News Desk. And he said, hey, you know, I see your articles, man. They're cool. Would you like to write for us? And uh, I said, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. You know, and then from there, in the beginning, I would submit an article or two here and there. And then I started helping just to put content up, you know, on an almost daily basis, which to this day we're doing. So... 
it became one of those things where I, I would help Jeff to, and still do scour the internet, look for, so we sign up for uh, subscription sites that send us anything that's on the web related to Van Halen. So we check it daily and uh, it's just become a part of my life. You know, I get back from my daytime job and it's like, okay, what do we got? What can we find out of Van Halen? And, you know, and when Eddie passed, it was kind of like, you know, what's going to happen now? But, you know, the news keeps coming in. There's always stuff. And we try to find fun things. It doesn't have to be newsworthy. It's, it's It could be just fun videos that somebody makes or whatever. So, yeah, been doing it for about six, seven years. How does working with the Van Halen News Desk impact your song selection tonight? Well, interesting question, Brian, because, yeah, there are songs that... You know, I think of Van Halen 1, and it's just, it's the definitive classic Van Halen album that everybody should listen to, right? But there are songs on there that you just, you get burned out on, especially working in radio. So Running With The Devil and, and Talk About Love and these bonafide classics that sometimes, you know, they might get pushed down my list only because it's songs like, and I'm going to mention a few tonight that aren't on the radio that I love more so just because they weren't on the radio a lot. However... There's songs like Dance the Night Away, which I can't get enough of. You know, I've heard it a million times, but yet I have not burned down on it. But working for the Van Halen News Desk, I think it's a similar thing as being in radio. But to add to that, though, working for the News Desk has given me a whole slew of new information behind these songs, behind the albums, behind the band members. And suddenly you listen to these songs in a whole different light. Because you, you, you learn things, you get information from the inside source, people who were there, how a song was recorded, what was the original title. Dave had different lyrics to start, he changed them. Or you know, just throwing one out there, like Hoffer Teacher. Initially, Eddie had recorded where he was doing the bass and guitar intro at the same time. Kind of like what he and Wolfie did on the song Chinatown from yes. 2012, it's a different kind of truth, right? And the producer, Ted Templeman, he said, well, it's going to be hard to do live, you know? So Eddie said, oh, okay. So then now you, you just hear what we hear, right? And uh, and you wonder if that stuff's in the vaults. But, you know, all those little stories, you know, they just... And, and the whole process of the Fair Warning album from 1981 is just fascinating because that's really Eddie's high point as an artist. So, yeah, it, it definitely opens it up to a whole new world when you listen to these songs. Well, Pete, you and I have been messaging back and forth over months over this episode in Van Halen. And as a longtime fan, what are you looking to bring to the discussion tonight in terms of song selection? Kind of like what Eric said, I've heard Ain't Talking About Love. I've heard it a million times. You know, some of the same songs, Panama and Jump, they're excellent, but everybody and their mother knows those. I always tend to look for a little more, not a deeper cut per se, but a little more variety than that to show some someone that may not be as familiar with the deeper cuts of the catalog and whatnot. Like, hey, try this on, see what you think of this. Maybe they might download the album. Now we say download the album instead of go out and buy the cassette tape or whatnot for the first time. And they'll hear a whole bunch of songs that they've really never heard before that maybe they like and can give to their kids or, or something to share with their children kind of keep growing the fan base <laughs> this is not a singles band not at all that's for sure there's more to van halen than the singles and then in my humble opinion i don't feel there are many quote unquote deep cuts for van halen if you think about their run between van halen one through balance 
Because to me, I always listen to the mass complete albums. So there's no song that you're going to pull from any one of those that I'm going to go, wow, that's a deeper cut. But to the radio fans that know the hits, it might be considered that way. In my world, the deeper cuts come from 1998's Van Halen 3 with Gary Sharon on vocals and maybe to some extent 2012's A Different Kind of Truth just because they're kind of outside of the band's main catalog just in time past. But my goal for tonight is to hopefully strike a uh, balance between the David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar years and hopefully throw in a few fun surprises for the Van Halen fans that are tuning in. It's interesting. Deep cut. What is a deep cut? Right. Because you're so familiar with the songs. Like you say, if you listen to the albums, but you know, deep cut is, I guess, technically it's, it wasn't released as a single. It wasn't released as a promotional type of device. And so it was just left for those who bought the album to listen to. So there's a, it, that's interesting because Van Halen one is like greatest hits. Right. You know? right. But some of those songs weren't technically released as singles, but yet we hear them all the time. Exactly. Well, let's get down to business tonight. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Eric, Pete, and I will be creating the ultimate Van Halen mixtape, and we'll still use the old cassette deck approach, only this time there's a slight twist. Since this is the first time I've had two guests on the show, this episode will have a slightly different rotation versus the usual back and forth discussion. Pete's going to begin side A with his first song choice, followed by Eric, and then by myself. And we'll rinse, lather, and repeat that cycle four times until we've mapped out 12 songs for side A. Dirty dozen, if you will. We'll then give our mixtape a proverbial flip, and we'll map out side B. Only this time, Eric will kick things off, followed by myself, and then Pete for four more round robins. So if you consider a regular My Weekly Mixtape episode to be a 90-minute cassette, let's just consider today a 120. Our overall goal for this episode is to craft the best Van Halen mixtape possible through our 24 song choices. At the end of the show, you can take our conversation to the next level by visiting the episode page at myweeklymixtape.com to give our final mixtape a listen via the embedded playlist. And finally, if you like what you're hearing on the show, you can help me out by either telling a friend, leaving the show a five-star review wherever you're tuning in, or by becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. And a few of the Patreon mixtapers chimed in with the songs they would use to kick off their Van Halen mix, and I want to give a quick shout out to a few of those. David Lee Smith chimed in with I'm the One. Sean Faust chimed in with two different options, 1984 to set a huge mood and dance the night away to get the party started. Ben from the Too Vague podcast chimed in saying that, first, my question was actually rhetorical, and then he asked himself, how could I not start with Hot for Teacher? I just can't. Hashtag, I don't feel tardy. Seeker agrees with Ben saying that if Hot for Teacher doesn't start side A and a one-two punch of eruption and you really got me starts side B, then we're doing it all wrong. And finally, Brand new Patreon mixtaper Philip Bergman chimed in saying he would start with Eruption, although not necessarily leading into You Really Got Me, because in his opinion, it's a perfect simmering up to a full boil 
to start things off. And I'd like to take this moment to welcome Philip to the Patreon Mixtaper family, and I look forward to our musical discussions in the forum. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So, Pete, as the official representative of the Patreon mixtapers for this episode, I'm officially pressing the record button on our mixtape, and I'm giving you the pleasure, or stress, depending on how you want to look at it, to kick things off tonight. So why don't you dive into the song you're choosing to kick off side A? This one was stress. I had probably three songs in my mind that could kick this thing off. Do you want to appease the masses? Or do you kind of want to go your own route and say, I know what this probably should be, but I'm going to go my own way and pick something a little different. After trying to go through these three songs back and forth, you just have to go and start with everything. House on fire. We're going to start with eruption to get things started. Can't go wrong, man. In fact, that's what kicks off the best of both worlds, best of double CD from 2004, because it sets the tone. It's a perfect opener. And it's basically saying, as we get into these songs, just be reminded, there's one guy, (laughs) there's one guy that you have to look to. And that's Eddie in Eruption and a song that came by accident. Ted Templeman just overheard Eddie playing it. He said, what is that? And he said, well, I'm just, just do this to warm up before each show. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> warm up. <laughs> Keep playing, hit record, roll tape. And that's what you hear. I mean, and Eddie was like, yeah, I guess it's okay. Didn't think anything of it. Didn't even think. That's the mindset that he always had. Yeah, it's no big deal. <laughs> just a punk kid who plays guitar is what he said. Widely considered to be the greatest guitar solo of all time. And I would never argue anyone that said that to me. According to Eddie, there's actually a, and I'm going to use quote marks to say this, a mistake at the top of the song, which to me just points to the beauty in the subjectivity of the music that we listen to. Because here is Eddie thinking that he could have played it better. And I'm sitting here thinking there's no other human on earth that can ever play this (laughs) music like he did. 
So to me, it uh, is the greatest hard rock solo of all time. Guys, I've spoken with guitarists, guitar experts, guys who wrote for Guitar World, and they can't find the mistake that Eddie's saying. <laughs> they cannot find it. <laughs> Wherever it is, we don't know where. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, Eric, we are going to you now to follow that up. And now, like new Patreon mixtape or Phillips said, you could go with you really got me or you've got this kind of wide open slate to go wherever you want with it. Right. You know, and I broke down and this is so difficult (laughs) (laughs) just to pair this down. But I broke it down into three different categories for me. So there's personal favorites. There's the lost, the last or the least mentioned cuts. And there's the must-have hits or classics, right? Songs that aren't necessarily singles, but just classics. So we've got Eruption taken off the list. So what do we follow Eruption with? Boy, well, I think because we start with that, I just believe that it makes perfect sense then to follow with You Really Got Me. It's one of those songs, I, I don't skip over it when it's on, but it's among those songs you've heard a lot, and uh, it's kind of lost its effect, but still, just an amazing song, and, and a song, one of many King songs that they played in the club days, and for some reason, that particular one just really stood out, and Ted Templeman wanted that to be a single, and the reason was because he had previously produced Montrose, the debut Montrose album, which, by the way, had Sammy Hagar on vocals. That album is now considered one of the most influential albums in hard rock history, right? No hit singles. And it bumped Ted Templeman out. He just thought that was going to be the album. So he learned his lesson and he says, let's get a bonafide hit. Well, Eddie never liked covers. You know, he always said, you know, it's already, it's already halfway there because it was already a hit. We want, I want to write my own stuff. But it became the perfect opener for the band. It opened the door to what we hear on the rest of the album. And there was a band called Angel that was also playing You Really Got Me. And one of the members of the band had been chatting with Eddie, and Eddie mentioned it in passing. Yeah, we recorded You Really Got Me. We're going to release it as a single. Eddie was... (laughs) He just didn't think anything of it. So this band, Angel, they race into the studio, they record their version, and they're going to get that single out before Van Halen. Well... Somehow Ted Templeman finds out, and he's like, let's get this song out now. So they, they got it out before Angel, and uh, the rest is history. And I don't, who knows? I, I've never heard Angel's version, but I don't think we need to. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's only two versions to listen to, the Kinks and Van Halen. It's a perfect follow-up. There's so much energy to that. It's, I think, one of those songs where, you know, the remake is better than the original. One of those two where... You play it for your parents. <laughs> and answer at the time, we're like, why did they ruin this song? <laughs> well, it is no surprise that I am a huge fan of cover songs. But when you're a band that can take a song that is already widely established and widely known and elevate it in a way where they're putting their musical stamp on the song, but also truly respecting the original... It's a tough balance to find, and it's something that Van Halen always seemed to do through all the cover songs that they chose. They always found a way to truly make it a Van Halen song, first and foremost, with a wink-wink, nudge-nudge to the original. Sometimes going as far as, like the start of Van Halen 2, You're No Good, 
where the riff is completely written based off of Ted Templeman's humming the opening of the song to Eddie and Eddie then reinterpreting this riff in a jam. To me, that's really far removed from the Linda Ronstadt version that was a bigger hit a couple of years earlier and then obviously very far away from the original by Betty Everett. So I'm not going to follow it up with a cover, but now I'm in this weird predicament for song three already because I have this moment in the episode where I can either send us down a chronological road or I could skew us off into outer space. And I think I'm going to go with the latter and we're going to jump no pun intended from 1978 (laughs) all the way to 1991 with a song that hit me right in the mists of eighth grade and high school. And the reason I'm choosing this song, Pete, you went with Eruption, a song that kind of invented and introduced a new style of guitar playing to the world. And I want to follow it up with something as my first piece, something with Eddie in it, and then also bring Sammy into this conversation, but also do something innovative. And I'll be honest, In 1991, I was only 13 or 14 years old, so I didn't have many years of experience in me, but I listened to enough music to know that nobody was playing electric guitar with a power drill. And here comes Eddie Van Halen in the opening to For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, and I'm going to go with Pound Cake. It's one of the most innovative guitarists ever, finding new ways to innovate guitar playing and raise the bar even for himself. And let's just be honest here. If the power drill opening led to a subpar Van Halen track, it might just be known as that power drill part of that song as opposed to what it is, a really good Van Halen song. And it's an album opener. Van Halen always nails the album opening. And I'm a sucker for album opening tracks. So my first contribution tonight, Pound Cake from For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. That's a great pick. Great pick. I agree. This song, it, it, the whole album, I find, because I've always said OU812 is my favorite Sammy-era album, but I find myself going back to For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge more so now than ever. And Pound Cake is just massive sounding. You know, don't forget Alex, right, with that Bonham-esque drum beat. Yeah. But yeah, you know, you're right with the drill. Andy Johns, who produced the album, he just said Eddie was, he just, the drill was there in the studio and Eddie's just like, Oh yeah, let's try this. <laughs> you know, again, you know, Eddie's just brilliant. But by that time you would think that he had pretty much, you know, the well was dry in terms of innovative things or things that really kind of blow your mind because by this time now, because as we get to the Sammy years and even as we get in like 1984, Eddie's more focused now on becoming a songwriter. He would, instead of, you know, doing a lot of the stuff that just, you know, could blow people's minds. And even as early, ba- as far back as 80, 81, he was uh, telling a, a, a journalist, you know, he's like, I, I don't know how many more of uh, these, you know, eruptions or uh, Spanish flies or, you know, all these things that I'm doing, these, these, these crazy things. I don't know how many more I have left in me, you know, so I don't know what's going to happen. People <laughs> may, may like it, may not like it, but. It is what it is. But then we get to 1991, and there it is. You know, he's got something he's doing again, and it's just perfect. And I love when you turn it up. I'm sure you know, Ryan, when you turn it up real loud in the beginning, you can hear him plug in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're waiting for it, waiting for it. You know, and you just the adrenaline. You just feel it. Goosebumps. 
Yeah. And it almost sounds like they say, you ready? Okay, let's do it. But a little more drawn out than that. I think you can kind of hear that. Yeah. Even the drill was painted and striped. That was great too. (laughs) I think, what were they on the, was it the 91 uh, MTV Music Video Award? They were on some award show and you had the drill out there and put a Hawaiian shirt on or something. It was just spectacular. A little bit of a fun fact. After high school, I had to get new license plates and I couldn't think of what to put on that car. And I came up with, uh, I was looking through the cover one day and I saw some flour in there and it said one pound of flour, one LB of flour. And I thought to myself, I can't fit pound cake, but I could fit LB cake on my license plate. <laughs> I love it. So I had LB cake license plates throughout college years. <laughs> it's like, here comes the pound cake. I forget legally, did you have to turn it? Do you still have it? Or did they make you turn it in when you get a new car? No, I, I still, I actually, I still have them packed away. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right, Pete, we're back to you for track four. Okay. So you went with that and it is difficult. What do you do? Do you keep swinging with you know, now Sammy to Dave and whatnot. One of the things that really got me into Van Halen more so than say other bands that I am an older brother. That's how I got into these guys. That's all that cat listened to. It was just, I knew more Van Halen songs. I think when I was five or six years old than I did any nursery rhymes whatsoever. Like here, I can give you the 5150 album, but I can't tell you about mother goose. (laughs) So I just always liked the backing vocals. It seems like Van Halen concentrated on that or they shined in that area more so than other bands. I don't know. Maybe than the ones my brother is too. Who knows? That being said, going back to my radio days, I'm going to bring this one in because I just really like the backing sound in this and to go up with pound cake. Cause to me, pound cake sounds very like Eric said with the drums and how many microphones they used in recording that. Cause what Andy John's helping with that. It sounded so deep and fat and heavy. Going back to my radio days, though, like I said, I was in the studio and I had to do some prod in the studio. And the PD came in and he said at the time, hey, Eddie, I have something for you. No one else has this. We just got it. I'm going to give this to you, but you cannot play this anywhere but here. And he gave me a CD single and I have it. And it was called Me Wise Magic. And I put that CD in and I cranked that thing so loud that on the other side of the studio, they came in and said, Eddie, I'm turning that down. It's crossed over onto the air. I had that thing cranked. And when I heard it, it was like, wow, this is what would be possible if you guys could just get your stuff straight. And I was just, I was blown away. I, I thought it was an excellent song. So to back up Pound Cake, I'm going to go with Me Wise Magic. Wow, what a song. Yeah, like you, Pete, I was working in radio in Hartford at WCCC, and I got to play that song when it debuted as a single. I was like, that's like a career highlight for me, because <laughs> I never <laughs> never got to experience the original Dave years, but you're so right. That's what we could have gotten more of if Dave was able to just <laughs> keep it together. Well, then you, you there, everybody's got their opinion on that. I mean, they apparently never even thought about having him back in the band anyway. It was one of those, we already picked Gary Sharon, but we need two new songs for this best of so we can promote it and get it sold to more people because obviously the longtime fans aren't just going to buy a best of with songs they already have. So let's throw two new songs. Sammy said, no, not going to do it. 
Eddie calls Dave. Dave says yes. But all along, they never planned on having Dave back. And that song in uh, Can't Get the Stuff No More, you know, those are two great songs. Dark, not the early Dave era. Then again, I should say, the Dave era did have some dark stuff. You know, we go to Fair Warning, and there's some dark stuff in there. But that's a good pick for, uh, for an early on, uh, early on track, track four, side A. I like it. Wasn't that supposedly all the while all this is going on back in the guest house, Mitch Malloy is supposedly sitting there watching all this stuff going on on yes. MTV with everybody else saying, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not going to be a part of this if it's so big, everybody's going to want Dave back in the band. Yes, you are correct. I don't think Mitch was there at Ed's place because I know Gary moved into Ed's place when they were recording three. But Malloy did say he was watching because he had already, he got the gig according to him. Eddie said, Mitch, you got the job. And Mitch was over the moon and he's watching MTV and he's seeing, he had heard some rumblings, Dave might be there. And he watches this and he's just thinking, this is over. I'm not going to do this because now you've got Dave up there. The crowd's going nuts. Now you want me to go out there and be the next singer? <laughs> Hell no. And he called Eddie and said, Ed, I'm sorry, man, but I, I got to decline the offer. You, you really get, you should just get Dave back. And Eddie got pissed off the fuck do you mean i you could bring dave back do you know what i went through with that guy and mitch was like i'm sorry man i don't mean to piss you off it's just that you know i saw what just happened up there man people went nuts and uh i think he made up with that in later years i think they were they were cool in later years but you know eddie did not want to bring dave back but yeah, Pete, you're right, man. That was it. Mitch Malloy. I don't think I would have been happy with Mitch Malloy as the singer. I, I think he was a little too clean, a little too, I don't know, a little too professional. Sound. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know. Sammy and Dave have their own unique sound, their voices. I mean, they're just so identifiable that I don't know if it would have worked. Yeah. We got a taste of it with that single, which is interesting. You could go in a really deep cut there if you would call it that. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the one with Mitch? Yeah. The same music that they used the last minute cut from the was at the three album they cut the song up with josephine on there instead i think right it was supposed right. to be that's why i love you with uh yeah, gary yes, you're right you're right it's the same music and mitch had different lyrics yeah it's interesting to hear the same music and see an artist's interpretation of the same thing kind of like the uh, different kind of truth kind of the same thing a little bit but it's interesting to hear the same band different singer different interpretation with lyrics so yeah, they're out there on YouTube. People can hear them. If you just go to YouTube, type in Mitch Malloy Van Halen, you'll see. I can't recall the name of the song. It's the right time, it might yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yep. Me Wise Magic is the first song with David Lee Roth back on mic after the Sammy Hagar years. And instead of getting that old school Van Halen, David Lee Roth sound, to me, Me Wise Magic was always a blending of kind of the songwriter sound that came out during the Van Hagar years, as well as that charismatic sound that was very evident during the David Lee Roth years. To me, Dave's voice is still in perfect form on this track. This song was definitely in my bank of tunes to me because it has that perfect blend of the two eras musically that I think would make any Van Halen fan happy. But the thing that I most love about this track is Dave's lower register delivery during the verses. It's a side of David Lee Roth. You don't 
get a lot of. He's very refined and very mellow during those verses. And then he does his vocal stuff during the chorus to really give it that old school feel. And I think that's a really different side of him. And I'm actually shocked that during the 2007 to 2015 run of live shows that this song was never explored because Dave was starting to have a little bit of trouble with the higher end towards those later ends of those tours. To me, this would have been kind of a mid-set palate cleanser for him to be able to rest his vocal cords, but still have a really cool song. I'm actually shocked this was never played live. Yeah, never played live. And Dave did struggle through that recording, Eddie and Alex said. They gave him credit. This is after the falling out from the MTV Awards, but they said, to Dave's credit, he soldiered through it because at that time, Dave had he'd abandoned the rock and roll route. He was just going to do the Vegas thing, and he, he did have a tour that year before, and he was playing some Van Halen songs, I think some of his solo songs, but also some uh, covers of other tunes, like show tunes, it was almost like. It was a Vegas show, you know? So his delivery was different. And he didn't have a lot of time to get his voice back in shape. So he pushed through that one. He worked hard for it. And he even brought in <laughs> he brought in uh, these fake uh, trees, uh, the coconut trees and all that in the studio just to get in, in the right mood. And uh, classic Dave. But <laughs> if you listen to, Brian, interesting, have you ever listened to Dave's solo album, Your Filthy Little Mouth from oh, 1994? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you see, that's when his voice changes. He's discovered a whole new range, but it sounds different. The train whistle scream is not there anymore. So he's got a more of a screech, and he's, but he's, he's, he's hitting these higher notes. Good or bad, it, a, lot, a lot of people were turned off by it, but his voice had changed. And so you're hearing a little bit of that in Me Wise Magic, but you're also hearing in a song like Experience from Your Filthy Little Mouth, Dave's doing that, you know, uh, hear what you're thinking, you know, the talk. Yeah. And it's almost like a Leonard Cohen type thing, you know, vibe going there. And uh, yeah, you know, Henry, he, Henry, Henry Rollins was loving that too. I think he said, you know, Dave was just sounding cool, you know, it was like a, like a poet. But he soldiered through that song. And the lyrics are cool too, Me Wise Magic. It's like having a belief in yourself. Well, Eric, now you get to follow it up with track five. Okay. See, I was killing time there because I don't know what I want to pick next. I don't know what to do here. So I figured I'd <laughs> This I'd episode's going to be three and a half hours long. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you know what I think we need to do? This is, I think this calls for a good deep track, right? Something that uh, wasn't on the radio because we've got Eruption. You really got me, Pound Cake, Me Wise Magic. All on the radio. Pound Cake all over the MTV. Uh, video was all over the place uh, at that time. So- Let's see. How about we? I'm going to dip into my personal favorites category here. I, I like Me Wise Magic because it's kind of taking the tempo down a bit. And we, we want to try to balance things out with, uh, no pun intended, with, with Dave and Sammy <laughs> because, I, because I am going to go to this is actually not on balance, but on the Japanese version. And it's a song called Crossing Over. Crossing Over is now available on the reissues so on the reissue a uh, uh, box set of all the sammy years you can now find it there this is an interesting track because well two things lyrically sammy wrote the lyrics about their manager who had passed away ed leffler and he wrote the lyrics about that and i believe so this song was originally written by eddie back in the mid 80s and he had written about a friend of his that passed away if i'm not mistaken so what's cool about this is 
when you're listening to the drums, you are hearing the original drums that Alex played, the electric drums from 84, 85, in one channel. In the other channel, you're hearing Alex's all-new drums from 1995. The guitar work on this, it is dark. This song would have been perfect as a replacement for, say, I'm really not a fan of Not Enough, I have to admit, although it was a hit, so I guess we would keep it on there. I think maybe replace Big Fat Money with this crossing over. It wouldn't have been a hit, but it's a powerful song. It's something that should have been on that album. So there we go, crossing over. We're starting to now, we're starting to bring the tempo down a bit. And correct me if I'm wrong, that was also the B-side to the Can't Stop Loving You single in the U.S., right? We still had access to it. Correct. You're right. Because a lot of times these bonus songs were only for Japan and you'd get really pissed because a lot of times the bonus tracks were as good, if not better than some of the tracks on the main album. So for me, this was one of those instances where I didn't feel cheated being a Van Halen fan in the U.S. because at least we got to hear it. Uh, as far as the replacement track, Eric, you could have just said, you don't need no stinking click. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or Feeling yeah. could have been the one that they, they could have switched it out with, right? Feeling yeah, was the last yeah. track. That's yeah. okay. Yeah, I, I guess I don't, you could correct me if I'm wrong. I always heard that that was left off the album because then they thought it was just too dark because of like the song Feeling on there and, and it gave off too dark of a vibe. You could be right. But, you know, mid-90s, that grunge era, that's why mm. they were they were forcing Sammy to change the lyrics to be more of the times. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great song. It's different, I feel like, for them at the time. It seemed a little more experimental. It almost seemed like that's where they were headed for three. In hindsight, I can say that. But at the time, Absolutely. it was like, oh, this is really different. So, All right. Well, you went deep. So now I want to go in the opposite direction. Again, we're trying to keep that, quote unquote, balance here. So I'm going to start with the rhetorical question of how in the living hell was this song not released as a single? I'll forever wonder this every time I drop the needle on 1981's Fair Warning and Mean Street starts. I mean, in Europe, it was a single apparently, but for some reason, not here in the US. So my question still stands. That opening fret tapping from Eddie is just absolute insanity and the song is just so heavy it has such a swagger and a confidence to it and it just shows how locked in the band was with ted templeman at that point in their career they just popped off four consecutive years with four consecutive albums and to me they were really in a groove at this point and like i had mentioned with pound cake van halen is fantastic with opening tracks and this is no different so mean street from fair warning yeah released in europe only yeah you're so you're so right brian what a performance by ed on this and it's great that they include that opening as part of the track because they could have maybe split it into two but that whole album you know eddie's he's got more creative input now he's sneaking into the studio late at night when Ted Templeman and Dave and everybody else is gone. It's just him and the engineer, Don Landy, and they're playing around, having fun, doing things that they couldn't do before, that they were told they couldn't do. And Ed was pushing a little bit more. So he's got more of a creative control over us. And we see that this trend continues to the point where he builds his own studio. 
5150 Studios for the 1984 album. But this song, yeah, it, and Dave's lyrics, the way he delivers the lyrics, the aggression, the attitude, you know, something that you can't forget about. He's got that unmistakable delivery. The, the combination of Dave and Ed together was perfect. Two different guys, introvert, extrovert, you know, but they just had that magic. And the sound, the pristine production, credit to Ted Templeman and Landy, because these songs and these albums, all the first six albums with Dave, they are just pristine, perfect. Sounds like you're in the room with them. And at Sunset Sound Studios, they would set it up so that Dave would be in the booth looking through the window at the guys in the band performing like it's live. So it has that feel to it. This is really, art, from an artistic standpoint, Eddie's peak. From a commercial standpoint, we would get it with 1984. But this is perfect. A good pick. Because again, it combines nicely. It comes off of Me Wise Magic and Crossing Over, so it's perfect. I like it. Actually, to be honest, it, that was one of the other ones that I was having a hard time opening. Um, I get it. If you would try to explain to someone what he's doing to make that noise at the beginning of the song, it's just incredible. And I remember when we did see them, the first concert I was ever to uh, was the Balance Tour in Minneapolis. That's actually, I think, one of the few concerts where they had the monks come out at the very beginning before they kicked yeah. off the show under the Seventh Seal. So when they came what? out, everybody's like, "What? what is going on here? You know? After they boot off Our Lady of Peace, it was very, <laughs> That's right. very interesting because yeah. then they bring these guys out. Everyone's like, well, what's this? You know, and it's like that monks just happened to be in town. It, it was really cool. But um, he would, during his guitar solo, I, if I remember correctly, there are a few songs that he would, you know, quote unquote, tease from the Dave era that they just, they wouldn't do. And I remember that Mean Tree, he would pop that off and the crowd would just go nuts. Just like, come on, just go into the song, you know? It's an iconic song as far as Van Halen's concerned, it, the guitar and everything in there. It's got that deeper, darker, dirtier sound because of the album. Great pick. What's cool is too, that he was inspired by the funk slap bass technique. So that's where he's playing around. Again, I'd love to just play around with different ideas. And there it is, man. <laughs> it's, it's Ed at his best. No arguments there. All right, Pete, we're back to you now for track seven. Okay, I'll follow you up and go with the 1982 release, Diver Down. This one, I don't know if it's considered so much as a deep cut or whatnot amongst Van Halen fans. It's one that I'm sure many wish was released for a single, myself included. I can never figure out why once you guys release Little Guitars oh, yeah. is a single. There's so much energy there. And just how the background, Michael and Eddie sing, you know, Senorita, I, I, I don't know. There's a lot going on in that song with, it sounds so simple, but yet there's so much going on. And it's, I love the sound of this album. I know it gets a lot of flack for all the covers on it, but I just love how this album sounds. And uh, this is my favorite song from this album by far. I just, I can't believe it wasn't ever released as a single. Yeah, think about the originals that are on Diver Down, because a lot of people will overlook those or forget. Those originals are as good as anything that are on any other Van Halen album. And there are a few covers there that I will defend. We can get to that maybe later. But Little Guitars is, is one of those songs that, yeah, more people need to know about it, because unless you're really into Van Halen, you may not be aware of this song. But 
And again, Dave with the the lyrics, you know, he the Mexican flavor, you know, uh, <laughs> can't crow before I'm out of the woods, but there's exceptions to the rule. It's an old saying that means a crow flying through the forest won't make any noise or it will draw attention to itself and could get eaten. I mean, where does Dave come up with this stuff? <laughs> now, Dave's very well read. Dave reads books all the time. He's a reader, big time reader, which I should get him on Booked on Rock, Brian. What do you think? Can I be a guest host? He'll talk, he'll talk rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And I like this because the little guitars. So now we don't want to get too mellow and dark for too long here. So we got Me West Magic crossing over Mean Street. Okay. So a little aggressive, sometimes down lyrically. But now we're picking things back up here, little guitars. So we're, we're on the upward. It's time to party again. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Diver Down is probably my least favorite Van Halen album from the David Lee Roth years. And my reason for that is what you said before, Pete, and it sounds weird coming out of my mouth because I'm such a big fan of cover songs. But there was always this, I can't believe this word keeps coming up tonight, balance with Van Halen 1 having two cover songs on it. And then Van Halen 2 having one cover song on it. But then you skip two albums with no cover songs. And then you go to Diver Down and you offset it with five, which tilts the scale in the wrong direction. And Eddie would agree with you, Brian. He would have agreed with you. If he was here right now, he'd tell you the same thing. But that's the thing. The originals on it are so strong. I know they were rushing this out because, again, every year from 78 to 82, you got a Van Halen album. And I feel like this was a little rushed because I'll tell you right now, when the band took a little bit of time, look what comes next. So yeah. I feel like Diver Down could have been one of the bigger albums in the band's catalog had they taken just a little bit more time and not focused so heavy on the covers. But I love the pick. They weren't a little rushed. They were a lot rushed. Right. I was just trying my best to be kind about it. <laughs> you were being kind. And they had that Pretty Woman single that was put out there just to keep the name out there, just to keep people reminded, hey, Van Halen's still here. It becomes a big hit. So now Warner Brothers is saying, guys, you got to get in the studio. Let's go. And Eddie was saying, I need time. I don't have... Because they were tapping into on those first two albums and sporadically over the next two, tapping into some of the songs that, that they had you know, in their arsenal from before or that Eddie had some ideas that he was working on already. But now he's like, I need some time. You know I mean? Give me some time here. No. So you have this knee-jerk reaction plus the knee-jerk reaction to Fair Warning because it didn't have any hit singles on it. They wanted to, they being Dave and Ted Templeman, really think that those two and Warner Brothers certainly wouldn't have argued it, that let's get some hits. So let's record songs that we're already bonafide hits, you know, just like Pretty Woman. Let's do it again. So you have Dancing in the Street and songs like that. So, Eric, we're back to you now for track eight. So I'm up next. Okay. So now we're getting back into the Van Halen party mode, right? So little guitars. Okay. Well, let's see. I think it's time to bust out an undeniable classic from the same year's it's time to pull out dreams. Let's do it. Excellent. Let's do it. Dreams, right. right? Now, I'm saying we're in a party mode here. Dreams is not necessarily a party song, but it's adrenaline. It's, it's feel-good time. And what song epitomizes that more than this, especially during the Sammy years? Vocally, Sammy just reaching to 
all new heights and uh, mick jones from foreigner he produced the album he just kept pushing sammy uh he sammy said you know they they were walking along the beach there uh, where they're recording and he's like i can't man i can mick's like you can do it man you can do it so he went back in there he pushed it and he, man this is vocally just this is his peak and lyrically too you know i mean this is this epitomizes that sammy era you know just that positive mindset that he has to this day you know he just makes the most out of every day and Boy, he's here's a guy who came from very little, you know, poverty. Uh, his dad was an alcoholic, not in the picture. Eventually, died fairly young, and you know, Sammy could have just said, "Hey, my life is just, you know, it's going to turn out the same way." But he was destined to become a rock star. He said, and he became one. This song is very, very special to me for personal reasons, which I'll get into in a second. But you talked about Sammy's vocals. When you're introducing a new singer to a band, you want to make sure you distinguish why he is now the singer. And Dreams is a song that as much as I love David Lee Roth, I cannot picture David Lee Roth attacking this style of Van Halen song. And to me, that was a smart move on the band's part to include a song like this in the fold. And Sammy has gone out and said that dreams and right now are his two favorite songs from his tenure with dreams slightly edging out right now, if you were to push him on the subject. So to me, I couldn't agree more. And the personal meaning is my football coach in high school used this on his gym workout mix. And when we were lifting weights, this was on his tape and nobody was able to take that tape out of the boom box in the gym if he was there it was this song it was there was no easy way out from rocky four all different that oh, that's a you're classic the best. workout <laughs> yeah you're the best <laughs> from the karate it. kid all these yes. like positive up and you could not change that cassette however i always loved dreams prior to those workouts and to me as soon as i hear the opening to this song I could close my eyes and I'm in that gym with my buddies in high school getting ready <laughs> I'm for picturing football. like, yeah, the montage scenes yes! with Brian getting jacked <laughs> here and listen to dreams. <laughs> I so love I love the pick. Yeah. Excellent pick. It might be up there. If somebody always asks you, what's your top five favorite song in all genres all time? This might be in that top five. Just growing up in the MTV era you know i remember the video they didn't make quote unquote like an official video but it was with the with the blue angels were on it and it, it was you almost get goosebumps every time and what sticks out for me in this song is quote unquote the second guitar solo i don't when he taps yes. and sammy's hitting that high note oh my god i just the first sticks up you know it's just an incredible that band right there in that moment is so on it it's hard to beat you nailed it when i listened to this cassette my older brother's cassette this is what got me into van halen this album christmas eve 1988 and it was that second solo where i just remember closing my eyes and i'm just like god damn that's awesome <laughs> you know because yeah. and, 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 i mean the whole song this is one where, where sammy said that eddie had shoeboxes of cassettes you know or just cassettes all over the floor at the studio and they would go through each and play it and sammy would say mm, yeah i like that let's let's hold on to that mm, no don't like that and when he heard dreams come up he was like whoa okay 
let's work with mm-hmm. this you know and and eddie's doing some really cool stuff with the acoustic guitars and of course the keyboards and this is this is songwriter eddie right here you know and that second solo is very clapton-esque it's less is more it's minimalist mm-hmm. you know that's the thing a lot of people will try to say eddie's just all about playing a million notes listen to this song this is a great example he knew when to hold pull back and he and he fits that little solo right there at the end and it's just it's just goosebumps yeah love it you can't not feel good listening to this song all right well i get to follow it up now with track nine and because this is a longer side we still have a couple of more tracks to go i'm gonna go with what i feel is one of the most criminally underrated songs on one of the band's biggest albums and i'm gonna go back to 1984 and i'm gonna go with the album no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) the whole album the whole album yeah when you go back to 1984 so many massive hits so much radio play then at the end of side one you get drop dead legs acdc-esque in nature it gives it its own home in this varied types of sounds that you were getting on 1984 and let's just be honest the last 90 seconds of that song are some of Eddie's most ridiculous. I mean, the riff and the solo over each other. My young mind at that point, when my cousin played me this album for the first time, I couldn't process what I was hearing. It was magic to me as a young kid, and it still is as an adult. Talk about closing out an album side. I mean, 1984, Jump, Panama, Top Jimmy, Drop Dead Legs. So, being we're getting towards the end of the side here, following up dreams, let's go with something a little different. Eddie said he was trying to play something inspired by ACDC because, you know, they, they played a few shows with him uh, in 83. And so, this was him trying to, you know, because he was a big fan of Angus. And this was his way of, you know, tipping his cap to Angus. And it is an ACDC like song. And then you have Dave's lyrics, which are inspired partly by the movie Some Like It Hot, Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in there where she's walking past the train and you just, the, the steam goes up, you know, and that's where the lyrics come from, you know, the <laughs> the big butt and this, you know, <laughs> all, you know, all that makes me scream and all that stuff. Yeah. This is like vintage Van Halen. This is like them at their peak in terms of, uh, you know, reaching that point where, you know, they're, they're making a song that uh, musically, uh, it's got well the ending, like you say that that extended ending. Eddie was inspired by Alan Holdsworth. He was a big fan of Alan Holdsworth, so that was him tipping a cap to him. You know, I don't know how how often they played it on that tour, but uh, boy, Drop Dead Legs, man, you can't go wrong with that. But I'm probably going to say that so many times. But <laughs> yeah, but inspired by Back in Black specifically, Eddie said you can hear that too a little bit in there. That inspiration, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I like it. I really like technology these days with the headphones we have, because to hear that on a good set of headphones, the ending of the song, just kind of the noodling around and stuff and Alex playing the drums and things. Kind of like you said, how many songs are we going to say this? Well, it's underrated. It's like picking your favorite kid. It's a a fantastic song. I, I really like it. It seemed like a little bit of a change up on there. I know the other release they had, it's uh, my mind's drawing a blank right now. I can go to this and be ashamed while people are throwing things at their, their phones. (laughs) They'll be like, oh, wait, darn it. Oh, wait. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it was, 
it, it's a little different, you know, they, that album, it's somewhat of a roller coaster. You got just the two little dips in there, you know, with drop dead, like just a tone down just a little bit, you know, but just really powerful and funky. And then I'll wait. But then all the other songs in there are just blistering, you know? So yeah, it, it, it was a cool change of it. It's such a great sound on that song. That's a great pick. It's a great Ed and Al moment. There are Ed and Al songs where the two of them are just in, in lockstep with each other. And that's it. That's a result of them playing endless hours together in the studio. And now, like Alex would say, we would just play and play and play. And then we would pick up on something that stood out and say, let's go with that. And I could just imagine, I could just see that riff all of a sudden popping up and he just starts to play it. And Alex is like, whoa, okay. To be a fly on the room during those sessions. Damn. Well, Pete, with that, we're back to you for track 10. Yeah, I don't want to slow down too much with that one. So um, we'll keep a little bit of a party mode here. This one sticks out to me particularly in concert when everybody would get if they had a towel or some people their shirt or whatnot. Just whip it, run and round and round and round up in the air. Um, I'll pick and run around from For Unlawful Colonel Knowledge. Nice. Um, I love that video. I keep going back to MTV, but it's just, it's what I did back then. Nintendo and MTV. <laughs> so it was a great video watching those guys walk on that disc that would spin around and of course, Alex, throughout those years, were wearing the, what, the funky sunglasses with the sides on them, if you remember from the Pound Cake video. And yeah. yeah, Alex was just always so cool. Like, can anybody be as cool as Alex is on the drums? I love the, you call it a breakdown in a song, you know, when it kind of gets quiet and, you know, Sammy shows off his former boxing moves and stuff in the video. And I, it's a great song. I, I like it. So uh, I'm going to take, run around just to keep up kind of the party mood here at the end. Love run around and Sammy's vocals are great on this and he's in the pocket when they get into those verses and it's a great groove run around a song that even I have friends who aren't huge fans of the Sammy era that will say, I got to admit, I love run around. Yeah. That's one of their last big hits, I guess, you know, cause then they had uh can't stop loving you after that on, on balance. But yeah, one of the, one of the great Sammy era tunes. I got her in my sight, but just out of reach. The kind yeah. of lyrics and themes that you'll only get from the Van Hagar era of the band. Because really, Run Around is essentially a pining, a love song that you're not getting from the David Lee Roth era. I mean, the closest love song that I can think of off the top of my head is Hot for Teacher. But it's a totally different type of love. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the guitar solo in Run Around could be my favorite on for unlawful carnal knowledge besides the power drill like so i love the pick i absolutely love it and now yeah. eric we're back to you to follow it up your last pick for side a all right so here we go i've been waiting to pull this one out and i think this is the right time and this is my hands down favorite deep track from the dave era and by the way, my favorite deep track from the Sammy era comes from Four Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, so I'm hoping to sneak that one in side B. Romeo Delight from mm. Women and Children First. Absolute classic Dave era song. Because it was never released as a single, it makes it that much more enjoyable because every time I hear it, it feels like I'm listening to it for the first time. That opening... And they open the... The Us Festival, that show, they opened with that song, and it's just a perfect opener. And it's got that stop and start and a push and pull, and, and it, that perfect interlude for Dave to do his thing. And you're hearing uh, Michael Anthony 
doing that cool little thumping bass in the middle. And when I listened to this for the first time, I hadn't seen Dave perform this live at any time, never did it as a solo artist and, and never saw him perform it with Van Halen. But I just remember saying, boy, I could close my eyes and just imagine this as a perfect live song. And when you get to the 2007 tour and they have that in the set list, Dave was just like on his game when they get to that breakdown. And he's like, we're building tension here, you know, and then you hear Eddie like, you know, it is, like I said, my hands down favorite deep track from the Dave era. Romeo Delight, track number 11, side A. Romeo Delight, the first thing that sticks out to me, like you said, is I don't know, whatever, right? The US Festival, the US Festival. Whether or not Dave really forgets the blanking <laughs> words is the question. Not yeah. really sure. We also don't know if the Clash are the only ones that put iced tea in their whiskey bottles, but <laughs> it's a classic song. Yeah. I also found it interesting not to take anything away from Dave, but when Gary did it on tour two, they sounded great too yep. years later. That, yeah, that's a really good deep track song. Um, more people need to hear that one. So if you're listening, go check out Romeo Delight. You'll be delighted. Yeah, the great harmonics tapping. And, and yeah, and credit to Gary for wanting to put that in the set list. And I'll also say that like Drop Dead Legs, this was at a moment in time when the band is focusing on albums, not singles. Bands did this, but album opening songs were supposed to be just as strong as the side closer because if you have a weak side closer you're not really enticing people to flip it over and continue listening and romeo delight is such a perfect side one closer to me just like drop dead legs is on 1984 because you don't get to hot for teacher if you don't flip it over same thing with women and children first you don't get to torah torah and loss yeah. of control to me i love it and now I have the tough decision to close out side A and I want to bounce around and get to some albums we haven't talked about yet. So I am going to go to a song that my father fell in love with at the same time as I did. Now, this was at a point in time, 1988, where my father and I were drifting musically in different directions. I was now growing into my teens and starting to create my own musical identity but there were certain times where we would align on a song and be like we're still in lockstep and finish what you started from OU812 is one of those moments plus it's the last song on side A so finish what you started kind of has a little bit of a meta vibe going here it reached number 13 almost a top 10 hit so it was a massive hit for the band it stayed on the chart for 20 weeks one week shy of their longest charting song, which was Jump. So, I mean, this song had staying power. And as a musician, I love the fact that Eddie recorded this guitar clean, plugged directly into the board. That is how you get this really unique sound on the song. And with that unique sound, to me, it sticks out like a Spanish fly does on Van Halen 2. This is a song that utilizes less overdrive and distortion, which is kind of a mainstay in Van Halen music. So by going to the opposite end of that spectrum, you really flip the album on its side. It works really well with Sammy. It's one of the two songs that he actually plays guitar in a Van Halen song. Now think about that. 
The only two songs that Sammy Hagar, a very accomplished guitarist, he is not a slouch on guitar. One of two times he picked up the guitar. And then in 1990, the song was used as the theme music for a short-lived Valerie Bertinelli sitcom called Sydney. So I guess it's good to have connections in in that scenario. But (laughs) I still love this song to this day. Finishing out side A, finish what you started from OU812. Yeah, and a great example of what that album OU812 represented, which is experimenting, doing things, having fun, stretching out. Some of the songs on there, Sammy regretted lyrically because they just were just just having fun. You know, like I think, uh, what was it, uh, If You Naturally Wired or one of those songs. But anyway, this song is, is and you and you mentioned, Brian, he's, he's plugging directly into the, the studio mixing console with his Fender Stratocaster. And this is something that, this kind of harkens back to the Dave years of experimenting, like kind of like the women and children first thing where you have some experimenting going on here. And I love that Eddie came up with a guitar part like two o'clock in the morning and, and Sammy was his neighbor. So they live next to each other. And he's Sammy, you got to come over, man. And Sammy's like, what the hell, man, I'm sleeping. But when creativity strikes with Eddie, you, you better be there. And Sammy showed up and they finished up this song. And yeah, like you said, Brian, it's just one of the bigger hits from the Sammy era. And I remember this being on the radio all the time and the video too, the black and white video yep. and they're wearing the cowboy hats and they got some, uh, some smoking hot women in the video, you know, the eighties, man, it's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Yeah. The main thing that comes to mind with this song is at the beginning, that drum beat, what the heck is going on? I just sit there and I try to <laughs> right. tap to it in the car all yep. the time. Like, man, I just, I can't figure out what the heck you're doing here. Good but, luck um, keeping up, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's the underrated Alex Van Halen right there. I think underrated. Yeah, that drum beat, you could count. You could snap your finger and count along with the song. But the stuff and the times he's hitting the snare is so complex in its simplicity, it's staggering. Yeah, you're so right. Well, you know, you know, Pete, this is the thing, the, the one of the, the magical things about Van Halen is, is that this band would attract musicians and non-musicians like myself. I'm not a musician. You just, when you hear a song, you love it. And those who are hardcore musicians, hardcore guitarists, they love listening to Eddie and hearing what he's doing, but you don't have to be. And that's what makes, again, Eddie a great songwriter. And we got to give credit to Sammy and Dave for contributing with the songwriting, you know, that whole package. But it's the songs that matter most and ed would tell you that you know it wasn't you know he could have gone and done an instrumental album at any time but it was about the songs the whole package and these songs are just undeniable well there you have it folks side a of our ultimate van halen mixtape consisting of eruption from van halen one you really got me from van halen one pound cake from four unlawful carnal knowledge me wise magic from best of volume one Crossing Over from the Japanese edition of Balance, Mean Street from Fair Warning, Little Guitars from Diver Down, Dreams from 5150, Drop Dead Legs from 1984, Runaround from Four Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, Romeo Delight from Women and Children First, and Finish What You Started from OU812. Head over to MyWeeklyMixtape.com to hear all the songs we've discussed in this mix, through the playlist embedded on the episode page. Now, before we flip things over to side B, Eric, you mentioned your podcast booked on rock at the top of the show. Why don't you tell people a little bit more about the show? 
Yeah, Books on Rock. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, it is focused on, well, it's it's about our love of classic rock. So anything from, you know, you can go all the way back to the Elvis Presley years right up and through to today, if, if you'd like, but primarily from the mid-60s to mid-90s. And it focuses on all these books that have been written, these amazing books that have been written on these artists, on these albums, on these eras or particular stories uh, that took place during these periods like Woodstock or, you know, Altamont. So each week we have at least one, if not two episodes, where we talk with an author of a book who tells us all the great stories that are in the book. For example, we just had an episode recently, a book on Counting Crows. Jeff Harkness wrote a book on Adam Duritz and Counting Crows. I had James Campion on recently who wrote a fabulous book from 2018, and we wanted to have him back on just to talk about the late great Warren Zevon. And he wrote a book called Accidentally Like a Martyr, The Tortured Art of Warren Zevon. We've had episodes on David Bowie's uh, Scary Monsters album, The Who, Quadrophenia, Ozzy at 75. But, you know, some of the moments on the show that really stand out for me is a recent one, really, from uh, Liberty DeVito, the drummer of Billy Joel. Mm -hmm. And he had some absolutely phenomenal stories about his time with Billy, his falling out with Billy, how he made up, and they made peace again after 15 years of not talking. And so we had him on. There, I think we're up to now... Let's see, 156 episodes total. And I just think people will enjoy it. If you love classic rock and you want to hear all the great stories, this is it. You can go to bookedonrock.com. We're on YouTube, Spotify, you name it. We're all over the place. All the platforms you can find right there. And I think that covers it. And we and we also have a series of shows we call The Dialogue, which is basically a chill and chat, you know, with just various musicians and podcasters and you name it. And we happen to have Brian Colburn, a podcaster. I've I heard of him. you've heard of him. <laughs> and he'll be on as well. So we're going to be just talking BS and talking rock and roll, talking books. And you gave me some of the books that you have read, that you love, that you want to read, that you would like to see written. So it's going to be fun. It's a great show, and I'm excited to be an upcoming guest. So thank you so much for having me be a part of that as well. But with that, Eric, you get the pleasure or pain, depending on how you look at it, of kicking off side B. We got 12 more. Let's see what we got here. Boy, oh boy. The first track on side two, it's got to be a banger, right? It's got to be something everybody knows. It's got to be a party anthem. So, ugh, Panama, come on. We haven't put Panama on this mixtape yet. So let's put that bad boy in there and track one, side B. Panama is one of those songs. It's kind of similar to Jump, where even those who don't know Van Halen all that much, they know Panama. Like my nephew, he said uh, he loved that song because he heard it on uh, Super Bad, right? When the, <laughs> <laughs> the two cops are doing the donuts and they're playing Panama. It's a great party song. I mean, what what more can you say about it? I mean, the video for the video, forget it, man. Classic, one of the three classic videos from the 1984 album Jump Hot for Teacher and Panama. But you know, the, this the the guitar again, Eddie's. You know, what more can you say about the guy? Panama, there's a great riff. But you know, then you got that great chemistry with with Dave, and you get the breakdown, and and Dave comes in. You know, going to reach down between the legs, ease the seat back. And that was a great thing about Van Halen and the Dave era that, and they had it, their moments with Sammy too, but. They really could just play with your your emotions where they get you real fired up and then it slows down and then it builds back up again, like Unchained, you know, does that too. So Panama to me is a perfect 
side starter. It could have been it could have been a starter for side A, but I think side A is perfect with the eruption and you really got me because it introduced the band. But let's throw an ultimate party and kick it off with Panama. Love it. And honestly, during the David Lee Roth era, the band always had this panache about their breakdowns, if you will. They took them very seriously, especially Dave, because he always had his his moments during those songs where he would just kind of go on his rambles and rants. And this one, I feel like they really nailed it with this song. And apparently now I'm not, you would probably know this to be, you could fact check me on this, Eric, if I'm wrong, but David Lee Roth was once accused by a reporter of singing only about women partying and fast cars. And at that point, all it did was make David Lee Roth realize that he never wrote a song about a fast car. So that's why we have Panama. Sir, you are correct. Could there be a more David Lee Roth response than that? I mean, really? <laughs> I know. I know. I know. And there's always a question of what is the song about? And then Dave would give different answers to different <laughs> reporters because he just loved doing that. And, you know, it's it's like those breakdowns are a lot like, you know, when you, when you think about Eddie, like we talked about eruption and he's just, you know, messing around. It's kind of like that's Dave's moment, you know, just to mess around and let's just see what comes off the top of his head. And boy, <laughs> what's inside of that head, man, that brain of his. And um, yeah, it's, it's uh, Panama is interesting because it's a, uh, it's part, I, I really, I think it's mostly inspired uh, by, uh, it was a drag racer. He, he saw that the name of the car, I think, was called Panama Express. And that's kind of the impetus behind the song. But, you know, with Dave, it's kind of like an, an amalgamation of all these different things going through his mind. <laughs> but I think that's what he was going for. But again, intentionally not not writing about he was being criticized. You know, all he writes about are the same things, you know. So this was his, his way of doing it. You know, th- Dave, as a lyricist, you know, at times could be so fun and sometimes head scratching and wh- where's he coming up with this stuff? But boy, never a dull moment. I mean, I think, you know, Jump was a little more, I guess, on the, on the, uh, that was one that I guess you can't really say that he was really doing a whole lot of lyrical gymnastics on that one, but he was still, it's just what he's coming up with. You know, it's like a guy jumping out of the window and he sees it on the newscast and he says, oh, I yeah, might as well jump. It's like, where does he come up with this stuff? And what's cool, too, is Eddie backs up his Lamborghini to his studio and records, you know, he's revving up the engine. So that's where you get in that middle part. It's it's the hairdryer on stage in a video, but that's that's Ed's Lamborghini, which uh, that's classic Ed again, just the the innovative side of Eddie. Anyway, Panama side B track one. In that song, pretty much global, you hear it almost at every sporting event you go to uh, when they're coming back from commercial or something on a NBA game, NFL game, hockey. It's a huge song. And also, I always thought of this song, too, the chorus, when they yell or sing Panama itself. For that time frame, I, I don't know if anybody else will feel what I'm saying here, but that brings me almost like a Def Leppard, Brian Adams type-ish in that era where Mutt Lang worked with those two artists. Right. Just how they say that. It sounds not mechanical and machine-like, but it's just so loud. You know, I maybe that's what they were going for when they all look up at the camera and, you know, scream Panama, but it comes across as just a huge, huge party sports anthem. Never been left out of a set list in any Van Halen concert. I mean, even during the Sammy years, they played it. Right. And now I have to follow that up. 
So I'm going to keep the energy high and I'm not going to jump singers. I'm going to stick with Dave for the second pick. And have I mentioned that I love album openers before? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a sucker for it. But I also want to talk about a moment in time that's actually important to the band because it's the first time that Eddie Van Halen plays keyboards in a song. And that is the opening track on 1980s Women and Children First and The Cradle Will Rock. So to me, you've got the energy of Panama, but then you want to keep the head bobbing for track two. You want that groove. You want that swagger. You want that energy, but you don't want it to be 180 miles an hour. You want to be strutting down the street. And and The Cradle Will Rock gives you just that. I love the fact that it's Eddie playing keyboards, but a lot of people had no idea it was Eddie playing keyboards. They thought it was his guitar. It was a Wurlitzer electric piano being run through his amplifiers with flange effect on it. Again, innovation. This is stuff that was not being done. And to me, David Lee Roth's vocals on this track, his vocal leaps on this one are maybe some of his best. They have grit to them. You feel it. You feel it in this song. And to me, it's just a perfect way to follow up Panama. Eddie the Mad Scientist. The song's intro written using a guitar in the band's tour bus. Two keys on the piano broken while recording because Eddie was pounding on them so hard. (laughs) The Mad Scientist. Yeah. And even the band gave him a little, little grief for this using keyboard, but you couldn't even tell. And yeah, this is this is another one of those must inclusions on the set list during the Dave years. Sammy wasn't going to touch this one. This wasn't the vibe of, of Sammy, but this is all Dave, you know. And, uh, you know, it's perfect because in, the, in this period, Van Halen, the guys are still young and they got a lot of teenage fans. And so it just hits home with all those teenagers, you know, like, like what's the other song on women and children first uh uh, you know, not into the golden rules, you know, loving to break the rules. And that Dave knew what he was doing with those. And yes, and the Cradle Will Rock. Women and Children First is maybe the most underrated album of the Dave era. Yeah, you don't hear as much off of that album as the rest of them. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it's a really good song. I couldn't believe it either when I thought that was keyboards as well. And I'm like, wait, what? That's so yeah, underrated song. It's a great opener. A very classic. You hear it quite a bit. Very popular. Can't go wrong with that one. I'd call it the keyboard gateway drug for a Van Halen track because he fooled all of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, Pete, we're back to you now for track three. Okay, that one's kind of tough to follow up just because of the vibe of that one. I guess I'll put attitude up with, I guess, attitude. And the hello, baby. Good enough. Ooh. From 5150s. Switch back to Sam. I just love how this song sounds. I like I love the whole album, but this song in particular, I just think it's a great intro. And just to to key off on that, it's unfortunate with this album because as you probably have heard, Eric, I want some action. When I hear that, I hear just a sliver of good enough. And it's like, man, I wish that could have made that album. I just wanted it. This right. is off key, but I just wanted to say that too, because you're probably aware of that song. Every time oh, I listen, yeah. I'm like, man, this sound's got a little inch of good enough in it. Uh, but back to the song, there is so much energy in that song. And even when he's doing it with the circle, it's just such a good vibe of the bass line in there. And uh, yeah, was he trying to be kind of like Dave with the Hey Waitress? 
you know, part, the spoken word part, maybe. I just love the energy and everything that's in this. So I think it's a great opener. So I'll pick good enough from the 5150 album here. Good pick. And one of two songs written for Dave, and that was Good Enough in Summer Nights. Oh, yeah, 100% hear that. From the Hello Baby to the Breakdown, that's all classic Dave. But I feel like you couldn't have asked for a better introduction to the Sammy Hagar years than that song. Because that Hello Baby gives you just enough of what people expect from Van Halen from the David Lee Roth years to kind of be that transition point. And then throughout 5150, they start weaving in the new sounds. Good Enough was the perfect song to open up 5150. And what can I say? Thank you, Pete, because that's one less album opener. I had that on my list because, again, they (laughs) nailed the album. I could have picked all album openers for my eight choices, and they would all be damn good picks because they know how to open an album. So thank you for that. And with that, Eric, we're back to you for track four. Okay. You know, I think it might be time. Well, what's better to follow up good enough lyrically than with Beautiful Girls? Nice. All right. Beautiful Girls, Diamond Dave, Toes in the Sand, <laughs> Drink in My Hand. This is such a great party song, and this is one of those songs I think I've, I've not grown tired of hearing, even though I've heard it and played it on the radio many times. This is classic Diamond Dave. And this is where you see the difference lyrically, and Dave could be a little more creative. Good enough, Sammy's, you know, eh, Me Too movement. I don't know if that song would work so well these days. <laughs> right. But Beautiful Girls, yeah. Um, just that image, you know, Dave was creating that whole image of, of, of California and the beach and the summer, and, and, and just Eddie's got that great riff. Yeah, I think it's a good follow-up to Good Enough. Keeping the party going here. You know, everybody's got a good buzz on now. We're inside B here. We got to keep it going. This is essential classic Van Halen. Yeah, great pick. That's a classic song. It's something you'd play at every party, keep everybody in a good mood and things. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't that on the SNL skit? I believe oh, yes. with uh, Chris Farley <laughs> yeah. and Adam oh, Sandler. I mean, yes. you hit SNL, you, you know you <laughs> made it by then, of course, years later. Yeah, great song. I, I love the guitar riff in it. And again, the backing vocals, the backing vocals, the backing vocals on all, especially those early records. Oh my gosh, they're so good. Huge part of the Van Halen sound. Could not agree more. This is what Van Halen was all about during those first couple of years was that attitude. And Beautiful Girls nails that attitude. And coming out of good enough, you feel that vibe. It's still, we're still in that vibe. So here we are. I'm on track five now for side B. The last time we've talked about what could arguably be one of the greatest debut albums of all time was right at the beginning, the one-two punch of Eruption, and you really got me. So I feel like I'm doing a disservice to not go back to Van Halen 1. And obviously every song on there is a winner. So I'm just going to go with Eddie Van Halen's two-chord punk rock parody Ain't talk about love because my hard rock band used to cover it. I love the song because let's be honest, it is two chords. And you think to yourself, how can anybody make two chords work? Eddie Van Halen can make two chords work. And it was one of the few David Lee Roth era songs. I think there's only six or maybe seven in total that Sammy was willing to sing during his tenure. So that has to speak to something. Ain't talk about love. 
Again, Eddie downplaying his skills, didn't consider it to be good enough to show his bandmates. <laughs> he said it was just just something. He was just a parody, like you say, of punk rock and a stupid thing. He called it. Man, that, that guitar solo is uh, one of the greatest in rock history. Doubled in overdubs with an electric sitar. And yeah, you cannot. I mean, this would have been, I think uh, you would have been in trouble, Brian, if we, if we left this off of a Van Halen mixtape. Yeah, I always think about that. I think about people emailing me saying, (laughs) how the hell did you do a vet without this? And I already know no matter what 24 songs we pick, somebody's going to message me, how did you leave off? And the only answer is, you're right. Yes. Just thank God that nobody knows your home address, right? Because if that wasn't on there. (laughs) Pete, ain't talking about love. Yeah, I remember when my brother would play that thing. May I? Wow, that guitar just sounds so raw on there. It's like, man, are you bleeding when you're playing that thing? It just, it's so in your face. It's really, it's great. And I'll never forget when I was out at a um, club, we're on a dance floor, and all of a sudden you kind of hear somebody sound like an old lady kind of talking in the background, and somebody yelled something. And then all of a sudden you hear Eddie Van Halen playing this guitar. I'm like, they're playing Van Halen? Now? I'm like, what is this? Is this a remix? Well, it turned out it was, what, a Two Live Crew yeah. song <laughs> that they had sampled. I was like, whoa. I'm, as I went home, I told my brother, I'm like, did you know that they sampled Van Halen song for one of these songs? And I played it for him. It was interesting. But uh, yeah, it, Great song, but it that whole album it just sounds even from the song, it sounds so much different. It's just so raw, like unfiltered, but clean at the same time. Excellent pick, like you, like you said. If you wouldn't, you know, they'd come look at them. Well, and then you, you have to talk about it. Hip hop loved Van Halen one. You had two live crew pulling "Ain't Talk About Love," and then you had Tone Loke, who took the drum beat and guitar riff from Jamie's Crying and made it into a massive hit wild thing and apparently the band sued him and and won $180,000 which for the time seems like a lot of money but wild thing is still a massive hip-hop classic and I think Van Halen was being nice to him at that point because sent a message though yes years to come because the Beastie Boys was doing a lot of sampling on Paul's Boutique and nobody knew that that was going to blow up like it did and so the artists were like wait a minute you're using my music. Uh, I think you owe us a few bucks for that. A couple dollars. The Vanilla Ice with his comical excuse for, uh, no, I didn't take <laughs> Queens under pressure. <laughs> Hers is doon, 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 doon. Mine is doon, 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 Right. In there. <laughs> you're right, dude. It's a totally different song. You fooled yeah. the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Pete, we're back to you for track six. We're back to track six. Okay, so we ended up with Ain't Talking About Love. Yeah, I have, uh, like you said, Eric, there's a list of favorites here. There's one staring me in the face as just this complete outlier. Uh, people that kind of dropped off uh, listening to the band after, you know, the Dave years were over or something. I don't know if they would know. I'm, I kind of want to put that in my pocket. One that I want to see on here that maybe the casual fan won't know about. I kind of put it in there with like the little guitars as type songs in here, the category one song that I just think doesn't receive enough 
uh, recognition except for the, more of the hardcore fans. Awful Women and Children First, it's called In a Simple Rhyme. And I love that song. When you listen at the breakdown at the end with Michael Anthony and Ed with the backing vocals and you can hear, you know, an angel sing. It's just such a spectacular song. But then again, kind of like some of their other songs, all of a sudden it takes off again of like a musical like explosion. And then at the very end, it kind of calms and lulls you down again into what? Into growth, what would be or not be, I guess, growth. But I always love that song and I would play it. And some people would say, well, what, what is this? Like, it's not a, like this hidden track. It's, it's on there. You just got to listen to the whole album. But sorry to blab on. But for me, it's in a simple rhyme from Women and Children First. It's like, how do you describe that to somebody? Yeah, it's, it's, that's as close, I guess, to a ballad as you get during the Dave years. You know, I'll wait maybe the closest of them all, but in a simple rhyme, man, it's just, yeah, it's the angelic harmonies of Eddie and Michael Anthony. And that is such a special ingredient to that classic Van Halen sound, both eras, you know, Sammy and Dave, but in a simple rhyme, man, you're so right, Pete. And this is just one of those songs that's overlooked, you know, uh, like I call them the lost, the last, or the least mentioned, you know, and that's on the list in a simple rhyme. And I've made a note here, harmonies. <laughs> that was the first thing that you, know, you think of, harmonies. Beautiful song. Yeah, and I was going to say, I, I think I mentioned earlier that there was no quote-unquote ballads during the David Lee Roth years, but Eric, you took the words right out of my mouth. I'll wait, and in a simple rhyme, are the closest you're ever going to get to a Dave ballad. And then... As far as I'm concerned, the first time I ever heard David Lee Roth do a ballad, and I'm using big quote marks with that, would be damn good off the Skyscraper album. Because to me, that felt like a Love tried and true song. ballad. Love that song. Yeah, one of Dave's best. That's a great song. It's probably my second favorite on Skyscraper as a whole. It's just such a yep. beautiful tune. Awesome. So with that, Eric, we're back to you for track seven. Yeah, so I think here we go. Now, with same with side A, you get to that middle portion here, and we're taking it down a notch a little bit. So I think a good follow-up to In a Simple Rhyme is a song that you just can't leave out because it's real important to the history of Van Halen and how they were able to make that transition into the 90s as tastes start to change right now. It's so important. The song itself is is a classic. It's brilliant. It's it's a song that Eddie had that piano part for a while, going back to the mid-80s, yeah. And what it did for the band was it just gave them that legitimacy as you get into the 90s. It was something that was just completely on its own. It just had a sound of its own. It still sounded like Van Halen, but it wasn't something that they had ever done before, lyrically as well. It just, it was great. It wasn't a huge hit single on the radio, but once it blew up on MTV, that's when it became a staple on radio. To this day, you'll hear right now. I think that's what's shocking about that song. People automatically assume it's one of the band's biggest hits. It only reached 55. It wasn't even a top 40 hit. But as soon as you say Van Hagar, people always go to that song. And I think that was MTV didn't necessarily define the charts as much as we, the people that grew up during the MTV era, when they played music videos, were extremely influenced by MTV more than the radio at the time, more than radio was ever willing to admit. And this is one of the prime examples of that, because to us, it's shocking 
to find out that it only reached 55. How? Yeah. How was that yeah. not a number one hit? Yeah, and and then it, it, it it's outlasted the songs that were hits at the time. Like Run Around, you don't hear that nearly as much as you hear right now, and Run Around was the bigger hit at the time. It just has a staying power to it. It's on it. It doesn't sound of a time of a specific time. You don't listen to it and say, "Oh, that's 1991." You just, it's just a song that sounds great no matter when you listen to it. And one other thing I'll say about it: the piano part, just the piano riff, is the closest thing to an Eddie Van Halen guitar riff on piano. Because there's a part of my mind that could hear that on guitar. Yeah. And it would still work. But for Sammy Hagar, the piano definitely leans more towards. But if he came up with that riff and played it on guitar, it would have still made a great Van Halen song. Yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting to hear? Yeah. Cool. Back in high school, when this came out, I worked at a grocery store. And the first thing I think of is all of the pallets of Crystal Pepsi that I had to stack. <laughs> yeah. Every time I do it, I think of the commercial with the two ice cubes coming yes. and clashing, you know, and everything yeah. and the water, you know, how dramatic it was. You know, this song is interesting considering in radio, I was told when it would come on to select, um, we had two parts to that, the main version and then the second version because the main version, so I worked on a top 40 radio station. The main version was too, quote unquote, too rock and roll. So we had to play version two, which if uh, serves me correct, pretty much the guitar solo was taken out and instead it was just keyboards in there. Omitted the guitar solo. Talk about neutering Van Halen, really. I mean, (laughs) it was sacrilegious. You do not remove Eddie's guitar. Yeah, that, that might be on YouTube. I could see that meme where it's just a guy with his fingers in the air. One does not remove Eddie Van Halen's guitar. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Well, following up a massive hit like right now, I want to stay. We're kind of going down a little bit, but I want to start picking it up. But I want it to be big. Massive, actually. And when I think massive, I think of Bruce Fairbairn's production on Balance. Because that is a massive sounding album you said earlier in the night you don't know how the remaster could sound any better because the album is just so massive and i'm gonna go with the song that was the original working title for the album have i mentioned i'm a sucker for album opening tracks we've talked about it before but i am going with the seventh seal hell yeah this is a massive massive track it has that pound cake drive to it that John Bottom-esque Led Zeppelin-style drumming. And in my opinion, this song contains some of my favorite lyrics from Sammy Hagar. You give this Armageddon vibe to this song, the tension that's being added. And dare I say this, this song shows a refined side of Eddie. Refined using big, big quote marks because the guitar work in the seventh seal is still ridiculously complex, but it's more complex in terms of chord structures than it is in soloing pyrotechnics. Here's a prime example of Eddie Van Halen playing to the strength of the song. Mm -hmm. This is one of the most underrated Van Halen songs in their entire history. It's so big. It's so massive. They almost named the damn album after it. 
how this one wasn't a big hit for the band at this time still blows my mind. Excellent song, playing to the song. That's what Eddie was doing. And the tone on that album, his guitar tone on that album is thick. And it's as massive sounding as Alex's drums. And credit to Bruce Fairbairn on that. The late, great Bruce Fairbairn. Yep, yep. And Seven Seal, what an album opener. And you hear the, the monks chanting and all of a sudden Alex, boom. You know, just here we go. And I think they opened the tour with that song, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe not. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. Good way to follow right now. I like it. Yeah, great pick. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, first concert I ever went to was that tour. And like I said, the monks were there in Minneapolis and they came out, they chanted for about 10 minutes. And it was incredible. And like you said, not knowing I was an idiot, I didn't take earplugs. And it was oh. inside the Target Center. And when Alex hit that bass drum and I felt my guts rattle, <laughs> my buddy looked at me and he goes, I think we made a big mistake. And I, <laughs> I couldn't hear decent for like three or four days after that. I thought I had permanent hearing damage. <laughs> yeah, that's a very powerful song, lyrics, you know, on Things Dark. It's a great song. Another one that doesn't get listened to maybe as much as it should, but, you know, being an opener for the album, it definitely helps. But just a great sound on that album. Such a heavy, yeah. crisp, clear sound. Little little did we know the guys were not getting along at that point. Yeah. Well, Pete, you have to follow it up now. What do you got? So that one, that, uh, that's heavy. And my quote unquote, my picks, what I have left. I'm going uh, to go and do something I mentioned earlier. I'm going to go way, I'm going way out here. Everybody else wants, you know, Unchained. Feel your love tonight. Several that we probably missed, but because that's so heavy, I want to match heavy with heavy. But on the Dave side, and one that people might not be as familiar with, love them all, I says, and let Cupid sort them out. I'm going to go with as is from a different kind of truth. Amen, nice. brother. Yeah, what a crazy song. Amen to that. I was wondering when we were going to get to something post Me Wise Magic. So awesome. As is. That album just came out kind of at a bad time, really. Not for Van Halen fans per se, but everybody at, you know, Van Halen. I'd call into the Hard Rock channel there in Illinois and I'd request, she's the woman. Like, oh yeah, you know, we'll get to it. You know, and at the time, you know, other things were playing much more, you know, and man, these kids need to hear what these guys can do. They're old and they can still rock with the best of them. But that beat in that song kind of reminds me of like, um, Hot for teacher ass kind of, I mean, Alex is just going on those drums there. And like you had said earlier here, and the one song Dave kind of goes into that spoken word, that Henry Rollins like and stuff, yeah. that, that spoken word part. I just love it when yeah. Dave does kind of stuff like that. It, and it, you know, with limits, but with yeah, limits. I liked it. Yeah. And that, I believe that starts with you hear Alex going, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I one think that's dur, him dur, dur. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Boom, ba, boom, boom, ba. Yeah, that massive opening. As is, it's so great that you chose that because that is that that's kind of risen above all the the other tracks, with the exception maybe of, of "She's the Woman." You know, I would say "As Is," along with "Blood and Fire," probably my two favorites from a different kind of truth. Yeah, "As Is" a great choice because I think it's important when you're giving somebody a mixtape to introduce them to some songs that people may not be aware of from all eras. Have we covered every album? Not yet, because not there's been nothing from three. Oh, yes. 
And we only have three songs left. But before we get to those last three, I'll just say this. I will slightly disagree with you, Eric, as Chinatown does sit up there for me on a different kind of truth. Because as a parent, I love seeing Wolfie and Eddie do that breakdown together. As a father, to me, that is ridiculously powerful. Father and son jamming together. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful moment. And you can just hear, and if you were there in person, see the joy in both Eddie and Wolfie's face playing that part together. And I'm so glad that we've been able to include Wolfgang in the discussion in some facet tonight, because I don't care what anybody says. I love his first two solo albums. I love the fact he's playing all the instruments. I think he is a ridiculous talent, but I want people to stop telling him to try to be Van Halen. Let him do his own thing. He did his Van Halen on Chinatown on A Different Kind Mm -hmm. of Truth. Yeah. And by the way, that second Mammoth album, I think, is even better than the first. I love the new album. I I love them both. I mean, he is going to be, if he continues down this path, one of the biggest rock bands. I mean, come on. Between opening the Guns N' Roses tours, the Metallica tours, he's getting a lot of exposure. And a lot of people are going, man, Eddie Van Halen's kid does modern music really well because i think people were automatically assuming it was going to be van halen jr and it's not Mm -hmm. and i love that yeah he you talk about getting emotional i saw him open for seven dust and alter bridge here in connecticut and they zoom in on him so on the big screen you could see at certain times he does show you flashes of his dad and he does the the finger tapping and things like that and i'm i'm watching that and you see the evh guitar and I just thought, man, I remember when he was born, you know, I remember Eddie talking about him, but, you know, and it, it really, it was cool to see. It was really cool to see. And let's face it, that that album, Different Kind of Truth and those tours, the 07, 12 and 15 tours would not have happened if not for Wolfgang. It's the only reason that he went back out there again. He was ready to make peace with Mike and do go out in a, in a bang, have Sammy and Dave out there and do the whole package. It never happened. Yeah, the kitchen sink. Kitchen sink. As far as those previous tours, which, by the way, Eddie sounded phenomenal on those, you know, especially on the 12 and and 15 tours. So he, he, it was great to see him finish his career at the top because he went through such a rough period in the early 2000s. By all means. And we are down now, believe it or not, to the home stretch. Time has flown, but we are literally looking at probably a 120 minute cassette for this episode. We each have one song choice left. And Eric, we're going to go to you. The big question is, will we actually get something from three in the last three songs? Oh, boy. This this is where I'm just, I'm bumming because I have like 30 songs (laughs) that I I, I wish I could include. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I wanted to include something from three because I just felt like it was right to do. But then again, you can't leave off. I mean, there's some glaring omissions so far. (laughs) Um yeah, you know, okay, let's go with, you know, we have to put Unchained in there. We have to. To me, it is the definitive Van Halen song. It encompasses all that is magical about the Dave era. So Unchained, we are going to put as track number 10. Guys, what do you think? That is mandatory, Van Halen. The riff, the attitude. 
David Lee Roth ripping on a record executive. That suit is you. Yeah. That is everything. That is unadulterated David Lee Roth. Can you imagine these songs without his personality behind I them? Know. I mean, it's songs like this and Mean Street, for that matter, that make me wonder why Fair Warning sales weren't up to par with the other albums. It's staggering to me. It is. By the way, there's a story behind that little breakdown. Ted Templeman literally, he was in the studio all dressed up in a nice suit because he had to go to a meeting. So Dave was busting his balls. <laughs> hey, man, that's who, you know, Templeman's like, yeah, okay. Oh, that was Ted? I didn't realize that was Ted. Ted's, well, that's Ted saying, come on, Dave, give me a break. <laughs> so that was like, that was planned, but not so much planned in the sense that like that all came about because Dave was just busting his stones like, hey, look at this guy, you know? And then I think at some point, you know, either one or both of them said, let's put this on tape. Let's do it. Nice. And I was like, yeah, come on, Dave, give me a break. Pete, Unchained. Yeah, that was the battle. Unchained, Mean Street, and Eruption were the three that I was trying to decipher between to open up on side a that is a uh monumental song from them just that opening guitar riff when you hear that you just know those guys are down to business you know but again then you get that little bit of a breakdown there where he's yelling at ted and stuff towards the middle of the song and it just goes to show how it can be heavy and dirty into it but they can you know all of a sudden turn around and have some fun real quick you know and party on and then get right back down to business again and finish the song off so yeah what a, what a great sound the brown sound great song all right well for my last pick of the night i'm also gonna go big i'm gonna go with a hit that everyone knows and loves and i'm gonna go with one of the only quote unquote new songs that the band wrote for van halen 2 as most of the material on that album existed in their club days, but one of the ones they wrote during the studio sessions for the album, to me, is probably one of the band's poppiest songs ever, and that's Dance the Night Away. Again, thanks to Ted Templeman's production and Michael Anthony's unmistakable backing vocals, you get this fun, danceable song, pun intended, in the title, so much so that ska punk band The Forces of Evil, which features Real Big Fish's Aaron Barrett as alias Aaron Evil, covers the song on the band's 2003 full-length album Friend or Foe. If you're a ska punk fan, you should really check out what horns and ska punk do to Van Halen's Dance the Night Away. But I'm thinking it's the end of the night. People are up. It's partying. You got to throw the hits out. We've we've went deep a couple of times here. We got to end on a bang. So dance the night away. That's the yeah, one I'm going to close out tonight with. Yeah. Influenced by Go Your Own Way from Fleetwood mm -hmm. Mac and, and originally titled Dance Lolita Dance. And yeah, it's one of those songs, you know, that just shows you, you know, they, they had all these songs from the club days, but then it's like, hey, Ed, can you come up with anything new? Yeah, here you go. <laughs> I mean, you know, and it's got cowbell. You know, you got, you got, got to have a cowbell song on this list. Yeah, what a, what a great song, "Dance the Night Away." I never grow tired of this one. As soon as I hear it, it's like, whoop. You know, if I hear it pop up on a jukebox at, at the bar, or whatever, man, it's like, hell yeah, "Dance the Night Away." Yeah, agree. What a classic song, and again, the harmonies in the background, and the little guitar ditty that Ed plays in there with the tapping. It's such a great song. An amazing 
the sound difference between the first album and the second album, hearing Michael Anthony's harmonies, what a classic song of theirs. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that one. It's great. Mikey. So pressure's on you, Pete. You got the last choice. Yeah, I believe, no pressure right? at all, man. You started this thing out. Oh, so but this now is the last okay. You gotta yeah. bring us home, man. So yeah. you had to kick things wow. off and you get the honor of putting the exclamation <laughs> point at the end of this man. ultimate Van Halen mixtape. Well, I haven't said this for oh my gosh, what twenty or thirty years? Send all hate mail. Carol, Eddie Anthony to WIFC Studios, <laughs> Jefferson Street. Because I'm going to get hate for this one. Uh-oh. So I know what we're omitting. So people that are listening, I know what's being omitted. Trust me. We, uh, all three of us have listened to these CDs back and forth so many times their heads spin. But because you're ending it, you're with Dance the Night Away. It's nice and easy. So let's just have a nice car ride home from the party because you're probably feeling woozy. I'm going to go with a favorite of my MTV era that from what I understand, I'm not so sure on how on I am about this information. I understand that Alex didn't care for this song so much, and it had to be fought to be put on OU812, but I'm going to go with Feel So Good to end it off. Yes. Um, I love the beginning to that song. I it, love it. Just me. Yeah, when I think about it, so it's that song, Feel So Good, Up For Breakfast, and Why Can't This Be Love? If I'm not mistaken, they all start with that synthesizer beat if i'm not mistaken and my brother boy back in the day when the parents were gone he would it was why can't this be love back then and and, and feel so good uh because obviously up for breakfast was out yet he would rank that part in the window just would you know i loved it and just the music video was so cool and I just love how the chorus doesn't even come up till later in the song. It almost reminds me of Don't Go Away Mad, Just Go Away by Motley Crue. It's like, yeah. you don't even get to the chorus till later. You get all the verses first. And I, was, I just thought it was a really cool song. So to start off, I guess, in an, in an easier note on a nice car ride home and listen to that while I get stuff chucked at me from the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a controversial one. I mean, I, I, I would say because... Actually, to clarify, you know, that one, I don't think Alex had so much of an issue with it. I think, well, Sammy had said that they were kind of doing a Genesis thing there. They're looking for a Genesis style. And, uh, and Eddie comes up with an interesting sound to the keyboards. And I, 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 this is one of my personal favorites. I guess it's just because, you know, my age. This is when I became a fan. I'm like 16 when this album came out. Now, Sammy liked it, but I don't think, you know, you could be right, though. I don't think anybody else in the band liked it. I don't think they none of them wanted it, but it ended up on the record, and it, they, they end up making a video for it. It's released as a single, so they, as far as I know, they never played it live. Yeah, I, I, I just, it's one of my favorites. It's got that, in fact, I think Alex was the one who had said, um, he came up with a, I think he's the one just doing like, do, 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 like he was like helping Ed with that part, I think. But it's such a feel-good song. I, I can't. I know there are people that just hate it, but I think it's a good way to finish. And and I know we we've omitted quite a few bangers. Oh, of course, that's part of what this show is all about. Though we have to. This is all about a conversation. And I love the song. And I remember my dad would always drop the needle to try to go to finish what you started. And if he didn't hit it just perfect, he would catch the end. It feels so good. He'd go. Now let's go back one. And then he would play feel so good right in to finish what you started. And the part that shocks me the most here is that both side a and side B 
close out with tracks from OU812, which is very interesting. Oh, yeah, you're right. But there you have it, folks. Side B of our ultimate Van Halen mixtape, which consists of Panama from 1984 and The Cradle Will Rock from Women and Children First, Good Enough from 5150, Beautiful Girls from Van Halen 2, Ain't Talking About Love from Van Halen 1, In a Simple Rhyme from Women and Children First, Right Now from For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, The Seventh Seal from Balance, As Is from A Different Kind of Truth, Unchained from Fair Warning, Dance the Night Away from Van Halen 2, and Feels So Good from OU812. Head over to MyWeeklyMixtape.com to hear all the songs we've discussed in this mix through the playlist embedded on the episode page. And also, I want to know what song you would like to add to this list. Hit me up on social media at MyWeeklyMixtape or email me at MyWeeklyMixtape at gmail.com and let me know what song you would add to the mixtape we've created this evening. Eric, before we go, why don't you remind people how they can get in touch with you and where they can find Booked on Rock. Yes, go to BookedOnRock.com. You can contact me through there. You can also, if you go to VHND.com, you'll see my little brief bio there, which you can also connect to Booked on Rock. Yeah, give Booked on Rock a listen. I think you guys are going to love it. Uh, I have so much fun doing it. And I think you guys are going to have fun listening to it. So check that out. And, and again, vhnd.com. We're always trying to put stuff up almost daily if we can. Um, and uh, the Van Halen store, I should mention too, vanhalenstore.com. Some great stuff there. And I'd love to hear from people. You know, I, I do get some people who who will just reach out to me with Van Halen questions and just, just or just want to tell me their Van Halen story. And uh, always welcome. Always great to talk to fellow Van Halen fans. And uh, yeah, and I'm just, I'm just, boy, I'm looking at all these songs we left off the list. <laughs> the guilt oh is setting God. in, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. We need a part two. We need, we need a double uh, mixtape. <laughs> we need three mixtapes. Yeah, I think we're going to have to follow this one up at some point. But Eric, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me on this uh, one, man. My pleasure, man. Thanks so much for having me on. This is, like I said, this is one of my favorite podcasts. So it was so great to be on. Well, I really appreciate that. And Pete, I first want to thank you for being such a huge supporter of the show and being one of the first Patreon mixtapers. It really means the world to me. And more importantly, thank you for being a guest with me on this episode tonight. It's been a lot of fun talking Van Halen with you tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Love what you're doing. I always look forward to the show. So I'm looking forward to this one and all the other ones that you have coming out. So thank you very much for having me on. Thanks, Eric. All right. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, guys. And remember, you can find My Weekly Mixtape on all the social media haunts at My Weekly Mixtape. You can also head to MyWeeklyMixtape.com to check out the full catalog of My Weekly Mixtape episodes. And if you like what you're hearing on the show, you can help me out by either telling a friend, leaving the show a five-star review wherever you're tuning in, or becoming a Patreon mixtaper at Patreon.com forward slash My Weekly Mixtape. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. And until next time... Enjoy the tunes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.